Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the founder and CEO of Diesel Laptops. And I want to thank you for joining me today, whether you're on the audio portion or if you're on YouTube watching the video portion as well. I think we had a great episode today for you because it's not too often I get to align up a couple different things. One, somebody that's in South Carolina, yeah. right? In the same city. Mm -hmm. uh, two, someone that's in the, the diesel business, the industry. And then three, we're gonna talk a little bit about how their company is structured because there's a little unique. I'm the owner of diesel laptops. Mm -hmm. And in the case with the gentleman I'm about to introduce, they don't actually have an owner, the employees own it. So it's a little bit different uh, with these employee owned companies. We're going to talk about that. I, I think it's actually a really fascinating subject to talk about. So with all of that, I would like to introduce Robert, who is the CEO and chairman mm -hmm. of AMBAC. So welcome, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. It's really great to be here. This is a really exciting topic, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just give everyone a little background on, on, on what you guys do over there, right? Sure. So they understand where you're coming at in the industry. Yeah. So, AMBAC International manufactures heavy-duty um, fluid power systems, primarily fuel injection, but also pneumatics and hydraulics. For um, We've been doing it for over 100 years. We're a U.S. manufacturer, and we are, as you said, employee-owned and open book. So. Yeah, so the open book thing really caught me off guard. Yep. So I think we kind of got hooked up on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and you invited me over for a meeting, and you're like, "Hey, yep. come on over." And I, it was it a huddle? Yep. That, yeah, yep. we called a huddle. Hey, come over a huddle. Yep. I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't know what the heck a huddle is. I went to your website, and there was this section on there about the great game of business and a book. Yep. I'm like, what is go like what what is this? <laughs> so I yep. went over there, and I, I literally like you guys pretty much like wheeled me right in to to a huddle meeting. Mm -hmm. And why don't you describe for everyone what that what that huddle meeting is and, and how that kind of ties into sure. being employed? Yeah. So we use the Great Game of Business as our management operating system. And and a huddle is everyone in the company gets together in one room at Wednesdays at one o'clock and we go through all the financials for the week and we go through all the major decisions facing the company. Um, and we talk about it. Everybody in the room has a has a chance to ask questions, has kind of a say, a stake in the outcome, as we say. And that essentially is the core of how AMBAC is operated. So it's really the guys on the shop floor, the men and women who are actually building the products are the ones who are driving the company. So, I mean, I, I literally went in this meeting, you guys had a big whiteboard up there. Yeah. And and literally, you know, they're like, okay, what's the revenue number, right? Yep. What's our cost of goods number? What's these expenses? There's like cheering and mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of a murmur sometimes on some of the expense ones. Yep. You know, so is that typical? Like you guys just throw all the numbers out there and I'm an outsider, yep. right? That was the part that really took me off off guard. Is, is yeah, do you, sure. Do you let everyone just kind of everyone right? Yeah, like how, yeah. how does that work? Um so uh, and what you're describing is basically it's our income statement and some key metrics off of our balance sheet. And they're all up there and you and you run through the numbers and so the person who's responsible for revenue calls out their number for the week and then you move on and through all the categories. Um, and it does throw people off. It's we can be startlingly transparent to be <laughs> honest. Um, it, but you know, and actually people have asked me about, you know, don't you feel a little awkward about sharing your financials? No, not at all. Um, for one thing, it's of limited tactical value. It's of no strategic value to anybody who's interested. But what you get in the room is you get such a huge amount of buy-in. And that, I think, is the real advantage to um, being open book run is the buy-in from the people. It's their numbers. And they really, really um, own them, literally. Yeah. So going back to the, the mm -hmm. owning comment, right? Yeah. So I get it. They're it's employee owned, right? You you yeah. work for them essentially yep. as your own CEO, boss. right? Yep. Like I'm I'm a CEO, but I own the company. It's just yeah. it's a reverse a reverse thing going on here. Yeah. 
So, so how does it work with the employees? Do they each own a certain number of shares or how do they get yep. shares or how, how does that how does that work? Yeah, an, an excellent question. And there's different kinds of employee ownership. We happen to be an ESOP. So that's a trust. It's a creation of the IRS where the employees are beneficiaries of an employee ownership trust. It's a little complicated. Um, there are other ways to do it. The, but the magic is not whether or not you're an ESOP or whether or not you can, you can even be a sole proprietor and have an employee ownership model. The magic is whether or not the people own their numbers, where, as you say, they're owners, not renters, um, and they really drive the company forward. So that psychology of ownership, what we call psychic ownership, is really, and it takes a long time to build, um, but the payoff is enormous. Yeah, so I read or I listened to The Great Game of Business. Yeah. Great book, by the way, right? Yeah. And I, I didn't realize the tie-in. I worked at an international dealership for a decade, mm-hmm. And I had always seen SRC did all the remanning, right? Yeah. And I knew yeah. it was Springfield Remanning Remanufacturing yep. Center, but I, I didn't know the story. And that's actually what the whole book is based on is is really mm. a lot of their their transgression, I guess, right? From going from what they were in bankruptcy to yeah. employee owned and yeah. being successful. The book is written by Jack Stack and Bo Burlingham, and it's essentially the story of how they how they evolved the open book management system. Now, AMBAC came to it very late. We're actually relatively new into open book management and great game, and we've adopted it, and I've become a huge fan for lots of reasons, principally because of what I've seen it do to the people on the shop floor. Yeah. So I the, the one part I've always struggled with, and, and we're pretty liberal with telling our employees, mm-hmm. even the public, what our revenue numbers sure, are, right? Yeah. We, never, we never drive down, down into it. And, you know, the one big fear I've always had is, Hey, we're going to sell fifty-five million this year, and we're going to make yep. three million dollars. And the fear is always the employees saying, "Well, I want to raise, right?" Like that. Yep. That that's always the fear we have. And you know, sure. as as the owner of the company, you look at it and you say, "Well, look, if we're if, if we're selling fifty million and we're only making a million, mm-hmm. a million sounds like a big number, but really, I'd be better off just putting that money in the stock market, and letting it ride versus yeah. versus yeah. what we're doing, right?" Yeah. So those are hard conversations. Did it take your employees a while to realize, like, hey, that's they got a lot of zeros and commas, but that's not really what goes in the bank account at the end of the day? And, and exactly, yeah. That? There's a huge financial literacy or education process that you have to go through as part of it. I would not recommend that you just send everybody a spreadsheet and go, hey, everybody, guess what? Um, you have to teach them to, uh, and, and, and nobody is really teaching this. Um, in the, let's say, in the public school system or in higher education or anything like that. So you you have to do that. Now, a little thing about whether or not people want to raise. Actually, this past April, um, we went through our salary budget. It's our normal thing in the big huddle and everything else. And the employees elected to forego a raise. So, no, they didn't want to raise. In fact, I recommended a 5% <laughs> raise and they rejected it. Yeah. Um, and instead, what they wanted to do was spend the money on capital asset purchases. So we bought some new machines. Oh, nice. So, yeah. yeah. No, they don't want to raise. <laughs> yeah. They want a strong company. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the long it's the long it's game, the long right? Game. Like, yeah. hey, we have yeah. new equipment, we can get new business, we can exactly. make business longer, we can sell more and, and be more efficient and yep. bring cost of goods down. That that is that is like miles ahead where most employees are at most companies. Exactly. Right? Like that that is unbelievable to me because I, I don't think I could explain that as elegantly as you did to, to a lot of people. That, that's, yep. that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, because employees, and you're right, you know, the average employee, like at a whatever convenience store or something like that, they want to raise. An owner wants an investment that's going to return. Yeah. It's a totally different mindset. Yeah. 
So how long have you done the, how long has it been for the employee owned perspective? And, and what are some of the, the yeah. things you can look back now and say, man, that was a good thing for us. And yeah. how's the impact been on the company? And the, the oops. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've been technically employee owned since about 1987, I think it was, but not that psychological ownership, that psychic ownership. That's only been about four years. Okay. Um, and the one thing, and that's why I, I, earlier in my comments, I made a decision or I, I made a clarification between the two. There's a difference between legal ownership and psychic ownership. Psychic ownership is what drives value. Yep. Legal ownership is very important. I'm a huge fan. Psychic ownership drives value. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have to feel like they're a part of it, right? Yeah. And that there's and something there for them. Anyone can just say, yeah, we're employee owned, but they don't yep. see financials or don't understand them. You're yep. not really accomplishing what, what your potential could be. Yeah. You're not an owner unless you have a say in whether or not the strategic plan goes forward. Yeah. Yeah. So the last four years, is, is there any, mm -hmm. have you seen more efficiency or more revenue or more profit yeah. or like how, how have things gone for you guys since you've really started um, to hammer this home? In the, in the first phase of our rollout of the financial literacy, um, and we did it through the great game of business. We use a coach named Kevin Walter. Um, we had a 21% pickup in uh, factory efficiency and an 880% pickup in profitability. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and I, I think it goes back to what a lot of, including mine, what we try to sure. do, right? Because we're not employee owned, but mm -hmm. we want employees to feel involved and feel like they're a part of something. Yeah. And exactly. I would agree it must be much easier to do that when they actually are a part of something yep. versus just us telling them that they are. Yeah, it, 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 it is a little, you know, if you have the legal ownership, that it is a little bit different. But, you know, some of the financial, internal financial numbers like uh, profitability and um, factory efficiency and stuff, those are really good numbers and we're very proud of them. But the other thing that it does, which is really an interesting impact, is what it does for recruiting uh, both uh, associates and customers and, you know, subtle things that I never expected, like our warranty rate. You know, suddenly you're not calling into a help desk or a technician or something like that who's somebody who's looking forward to the weekend. You're talking to the guy who owns the place. Yeah. And, you know, quality and warranty and customer satisfaction all, you know, lift with this kind of an approach. Those are things all of a sudden, if you're on the factory floor, you care about what your you customers think. You care very product, deeply, right? yeah. It affects your, your pocketbook at the end of the day. It does. Yeah. No, it's very interesting stuff. Um, and I think the other unique thing, too, is... I mean, you truly are a USA manufacturer, right? We are, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, you see all these supply chain things going on. Mm -hmm. I'm having problems getting chips or diagnostic tools or getting price increases. We import from, from Asia. We yep. import from Italy. We import from Spain. Costs are exploding everywhere. Yep. Um, and we're, we're trying to get better at that whole, that whole supply chain side of it, right? We're, yeah. we're noobs when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. How's the impact been with, with everything, how you guys have been operating? Well, it's not that we don't have problems. I think everybody has problems, but generally speaking, and you've seen it, on one end of the factory comes bar stock steel and blocks of aluminum. Out the other end comes fuel injectors and fuel pumps and hydraulics and stuff like that. So when your supply chain is only 300 yards long, it's a little bit different scale than when if it's 12 time zones long. So, you know, we, we do pretty well. The other thing that we do is our supply chain team their owners, right? Um, so they are forecasting well in advance. We do a 10-year, five-year, three-year, and one-year forecast, and we revise those every six months. So we are way, way out ahead of the marketplace buying raw materials and critical supplies long before most people realize that there's going to be a problem. So how difficult is it competing? You know, because that's the big thing people buy stuff overseas, right? It's sure. like, oh, it's yeah. cheaper, right? Yeah. And I, I, I got to imagine with freight costs and logistics, it's kind of leveled the playing field a little bit more it in, has, in, that, yeah. in that regard. Um, but yeah. I mean, how do you how do you compete? Because obviously, USA labor is more expensive than mm -hmm. China, right? 
Um, yeah, although the I think the when you look at the hard numbers, those gaps are kind of closing. So USA labor is or Chinese labor is becoming more expensive, or let's say Asian labor in general. Um, so that's part of it. We have higher levels of efficiency, so that's part of it. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is if you're, you know, if you're uh, a driver and your truck's down, you need that part now. You call us, it's in stock, we ship. Yeah, that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, you can take care of your customers. Exactly. Uh, the other piece that was odd, I thought was odd, at least walking around, yep. is you know, Tyler, how's how's it hiring employees? I'm like horrible. <laughs> like there's certain roles we can't we yep. can't fill at all, right? There's 11 million job positions opening. I'm like, did you have a problem? And how did we don't? Explain how, yeah, yeah. And we're actually we're we're very blessed right now in that we have a very solid recruiting pipeline. We're a really great team, and and there's no secret there either. Um, you know, like I said, I can be startling transparent, startlingly transparent. That. That success is built upon us very consciously being the best possible employer we could be for years. And so you, you bring in people, um, they're winners, they're the, you know, the best players in the business. And guess what? Winners, no winners. Yeah. There you go. Well, let's talk about the competitive marketplace a little bit. Sure. So, I mean, you mm-hmm. guys make injectors, but I, mean, I, yep. I can name Bosch, Denso, yeah. Pure Power. I mean, there, there's some big, big companies out there. Yes, there that, are. And yeah. some of those companies actually even make diagnostic tools <laughs> as yep. well. So yep. how do you, how do you compete in the marketplace beyond beyond just the product, right? Because they have yep. brand name recognition. Some of them are the the factory OEM sure. in some cases. Yeah. Like it's it's got to be a competitive marketplace, I would imagine, for the components you guys sell. It it is. Um, and, you know and. And to a certain extent, you know, people will compete on price or availability and those kinds of things. But I think something happened, and, and you've talked about this before, and you and I were just talking about it not very long ago. Uh, somewhere around a year, two years ago, this industry changed radically. It's now a software-driven industry. It's a data-driven industry. And I think that's really the key thing. So we've spent the past three years building what may be the most comprehensive database of fuel injection and related products in the industry. So we have the ability to know from, you know, make model year type information from engine information, exactly what parts you need, and we can supply those parts. So that kind of an approach is very different than calling, you know, six different suppliers saying, hey, do you have an AB12345? No, I don't know. No, we know. We know where it is. We know we've got it in stock and we're ready to ship. Yeah, it sounds like a similar thing here. We just, we want people to be able to find our products easily. Yeah. Right? And we want to be able to take care of them when we have them. And, exactly. and really, that's a big part of any business. Yeah. And I, I even joke about this a lot of people. I, I've been telling people, like, like, you know, someday when I'm all said and done with these little laptops, mm-hmm. whatever that day is, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go start a new business. And it's mm-hmm. going to be like a, a residential service. It could be, it could be, I don't care sure. what it is, garbage pickup, pool maintenance, mm-hmm. electrician, yard care. I don't care. Yep. And all we're going to do is two things. We're going we're gonna to show up on time. And we're gonna we're gonna answer the phone when someone calls us. Because I swear and to God, I, yeah, can't, I can't even find those two things yep. in, in, in that business. Yeah, you're gonna win every time. Yeah. So I, I know it's mm-hmm. it's a fast evolving world. Technology is definitely changing Absolutely, as we yeah. go here. Yeah. Um, how is it in your world? Do you have to keep finding new products to make, or is it finding more ways to sell what you have, or where do you guys see like where, what's the growth as a manufacturer? Yeah. So both it's uh, new products and um, finding new markets for products, but really it's, it's new markets for our concept of of the way we work. Um, And, you know, we're a small manufacturer and we go after, we tend to manufacture products where the OEMs have left, let's say a product in the marketplace. That's not 
really what it needs to be. So we can come in and we can address those kinds of technical issues on an engineering level and create basically a better mousetrap. Yeah. So um, we go in and as a remanufacturer, new manufacturer, we re-engineer or engineer new solutions for these products. You know, because at the end of the day, the men and women that, that are the end use customers or the men and women that use our products, they're feeding families and they're driving for a living. I mean, I was a truck driver at one point. I know what it's like to be on the side of the road with a blown engine. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. And I think aftermarket's a really important part of our industry. So mm-hmm. case in point, you know, as I'm as we're recording this here today, yeah. um, you know, we have this Cummins has this problem going on, Packard mm-hmm. has this problem going on. Yep. I, I know it's hitting Daimler now as well you know, with deaf quality sensors. Sure. And there's an estimated 35,000 trucks that are down because of this yeah. deaf quality sensor, just, just at Peterbilt or Kenworth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the irony here is, is they put a patent on that deaf quality sensor and that mechanism, mm-hmm. which thus prevents aftermarket from even making one. Yep. And now they're the only game in town and they can't get them, they can't supply them. They got trucks that are derated and not working. Yep. And they're trying to get EPA approval to do an official legal DEF delete, yeah. right? Like it, yeah. it just seems really, sometimes OEMs seem to go way too far trying to protect things that probably shouldn't be protected, just protecting profit more than anything else. You know, to a certain extent, I think um, they, they're, they're working on a sort of a different level, I think. You know, we're, we're about solving problems for people who are making a living. And, yeah. and I'm not sure what they're after, but... When you look at the the behavior and as it hits the hits the street, so to speak, maybe you don't see that all the time. So, you know, actually, uh, next month, as we're recording this in a few days, we're AMBAC is launching a new aftermarket brand, and we're going after that business to be the one-stop shop or the complete fuel system, power fluid power system um, provider for those people, for the small fleets, for the guys that are driving a truck for a living. Um, to go at, because, you know, there seems to be opportunity there. Yeah. So can you say the name of the brand yet? Or is it yeah, secret at this point? No, it's uh, Ambac Aftermarket. Okay. Yep. We're not very creative in some ways. <laughs> you know, all we do is yeah. put the word diesel in front of something, and then we call it like diesel yep. repair, diesel yep. diagnostics, diesel training, and that's just our, our, yep, that's our extent of our marketing mm-hmm. stuff as well. Yep. So how many how many new products, how many products are going to be in that line, and, and yep. where are you going after? So we're adding new products daily, but we're at uh, about 200 right now, um, SKUs, discrete SKUs, and, and we're going after uh, fluid power, so fuel injection, hydraulics, pneumatics, uh, everything, and all the related stuff around that, you know, so like depth sensors and everything else that goes kind of in that package. With the idea, uh, and, and we think we are, you know, we've been doing this for 100 years, um, so we're going to be basically the, the value brand of high quality choice, going after the 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 customer that needs quality and they need to be able to afford it. Yeah. So a lot of your, can you talk about your current customers now, right? Because I think when mm-hmm. most people think of truck, a truck manufacturer, yeah. at least in my mind, I'm always like, okay, they either, they make parts that go on new trucks, mm-hmm. right? And then that, then that new truck manufacturer just calls it theirs. Like I, you see yep. that one side. Then I always, I always see the aftermarket side, right? Yeah. So you're saying we're getting into the aftermarket, you know, yep. but I think you're kind of, were you already in the aftermarket or we, who were your customers? Yeah, or, we have been yeah. in the aftermarket. So uh, AMBAC is, consists of basically three different customer types. One of them is military. We do a very large, and we're very proud of our military service. That's none, none of those products you can buy online. And um, that goes to, you know, U.S. Marine Corps, United States Army, and, and foreign militaries. And then we do manufacturing. So we do manufacturer this is hardcore, um, big machine manufacturing for a variety of types of customers, including OEMs. And then the aftermarket brand. And we've always had an aftermarket side of the business, but what we're doing now is we're is realizing that in the aftermarket, 
there is an opportunity to go after it in a thoughtful, strategic, um, data-driven way that's basically a new value proposition. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about data before. And, yeah. you know, I, I can't remember during this recording or before we were talking about aces and pies a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. Why is information so important to to people? Oh, yeah. Well, it's and it is. It's, it's surprising. And the reason is because if, like, out in your parking lot, there's a Cascadia. When that thing goes down, who do you call? What do you tell them? How do I find the part? How do I know it's the right part? How do I know what is broken? You know, all I've got is a blinking red light on the dashboard. Yeah. Those are all questions that are answered with data. Yeah. And so you drive all of those kinds of things into, into what you could say is an, almost an ecosystem. You say, well, we need to know what the vehicle is. We need to know what's wrong with it. We need to know. And at the end of the day, you need a part. Yeah. That's the part that we do is the part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, hey, I've launched a couple of brands too. It's mm -hmm. it's tough to do. You got to make sure people know who you are in the marketplace. Yep. And like you said, where you fit in and yep. is it a name you can trust? And exactly. I, I think all the things you're doing are are exactly, exactly mm -hmm. right. And I, I keep telling, as I talk to manufacturers and other people, I'm like, at the end of the day, let's face it. Like I needed a part for my automobile, right? Yeah. So I go online, I went to you know some website, mm -hmm. I did my year make model lookup mm -hmm. and it showed me a couple options, and I, I didn't recognize any of the brands, so I just picked one that had the best picture and description, more, more or less, right? Yeah. But but all that comes back to is data, because I, I couldn't look that up if I didn't have the ACEs information. Exactly. And if I didn't have the PIES information with a nice picture and the nice explanation, never made it I wasn't going to buy that guy either. Yeah. So who won that? It was the guy that had the best data. Had the best data. People mm -hmm. don't understand that that's exactly what's going to happen in our industry as well, as more manufacturers build sure. out their ACEs information. And that, that kind of that, that secret veil gets on allows customers to look up their own things and do their own things. Yep. The people making the purchasing decisions is really shifted and companies have to be ready for that big shift that's happening. It has, yeah. And you know, it's data driven. And then the other part that you said that you mentioned, which I think is so important, is being the brand you can trust. Yeah. And so that's that's the the third leg of the stool, I would say, is to so if you buy an AMBAC product. You're buying a product from a 100-year-old manufacturer right here in the United States, just on the other side of town, um, and that's something that you can you can put your hands on and you can trust in a way that, you know, X Y Z and Noodle Company from who knows where you can't. Yeah, and I was just just literally today I was talking with someone. They run an e-commerce mm -hmm. site on after treatment, mm -hmm. and he he just said they got really folk when COVID happened. Yeah, he had the e-commerce site going forever, right? And it was going there and doing okay. It was doing its thing. And they decided to really get focused on it when COVID happened, right? Like, yeah. oh, the world's changing. People don't want to start visits. Yeah. Let, let we, sh we have this site. It doesn't do much. Let's just go focus on it. Let's go yeah. make it easier to use. Let's go improve the data quality on it. And I, I was talking to him today. He said literally sales are up 15, 1,500% from sure. where he was yeah. with, with a little bit of effort yep. put into, into doing those things. So yep. people don't understand how important those things are. They are. They're critical. Yeah, they are. Because we are, I mean, whether or not people recognize it, we're in a software business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it took me a while to realize that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was in the business first of selling diagnostic laptops. And then I thought I was kind of in the business of like, well, I, I mean, we're in the business of helping people with their solutions. Sure. But all that comes through on the technology side. Like that's yeah. the only way this gets solved. Uh, again, we were talking about it off camera. I should we should have a camera like follow follow me around and yeah, follow we, when I have visitors in town because mm -hmm. a lot of good conversations happen. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it was just on the whole. You know, you got the unemployment thing going on. You yep. have all these all these issues that are going on in the world. Uh, diesel technicians being one of them. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, the industry short 50, 60, 70, 80,000 diesel techs and getting oh, yeah. worse every day. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's not going to be, it's got to be, it can't just be like, we need more diesel techs. You can't just throw more labor at it. There's got to be a smarter way, more efficient way to fix trucks, look up mm -hmm. parts and do all these things. Yep. And and really technology is what's going to help save this thing at the end of the yeah. day. The old model just doesn't scale. So that's why, you know, the three legs of the stool is you, you have to have the best team, you have to have the best data, and you have to have the best product. Yeah. You got those three, which is what we work really, really hard on all day, every day to have those three, the best team, the best data and the best product. Yeah, you know, you're you're speaking the diesel laptop language there. I can I can definitely yeah. definitely say that with everything going on. Mm -hmm. All right. So if someone's listened to this, I, I think yep. there's there's a couple a couple tidbits to take away. So sure. first of all, great game of business. Where where mm -hmm. if they want to Amazon or where where do they go to learn more about great game of business? Uh, yeah, great game of business has their own website. Um, you're welcome to reach out to us. The books are on Amazon. All those kinds of things. I, I would highly encourage you to at least to at least read it. Um, you're, it's well worth the time. Yeah, it was really, really eye-opening mm -hmm. uh, when I read that. And I think it's a proven thing that really can work. Oh, yeah. Um, and like you said, there's it, it It talks a lot about how they did it and, and how it benefits. And I, I completely agree. I just can't, I can't quite, I can't quite get there, get there oh, enough. Yeah. But I, but I'm, I'm working on it. I, Come I, on I, I see, I see, I see we'll, the value. We'll get you yeah. there. <laughs> I think if we had, you know, when I look at diesel laptops, yeah. And maybe this is an excuse, but I mean, we, we're going in so many different directions at once. We can hardly keep our feet underneath us. And to pivot to that's kind of a, a big deal. And you need to have the right the right executives in place to help manage that process yeah. and, and do and, those things. And, and it's a marriage, not a date, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a you're going to create a new relationship within your team and you got to work on it every day. So Yeah. I mean, the fact is, I, I won't own diesel laptops forever, right? Either I retire exactly. or I die, right? So yeah. I gotta like, what what's the strategy when 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 either of those come to be? And I yeah. don't, you know, that's one mm -hmm. of the possible things that could happen. I've seen other companies do that as well sure. and say, hey, yeah. we're just gonna it's a smart move. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So more to learn more about your company or connect with you. Where do Ambeck they go? Ambeckinternational.com and uh, Ambeckinternational.com/slash/aftermarket after the first of October. Um, for the aftermarket side. Well, I'm super excited to check yeah. it out. I just want to yeah. say thank you for coming into the office today, oh, into yeah. the studio, thank you for talking. This has been really great. Yeah, no, it's always great to talk with other uh, other fellow businesses in our space, right? Yeah. So, like that, that's that's a hard one to, to kind of line up a lot of times. Yeah. So, it, it's been great having you on there. Yeah. And I will say this: so as we end every episode, it's not just diagnostics; it's diagnostics done right. Starts with having great quality manufacturers helping out with the parts they need. So mm -hmm. thank you much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for watching and listening. Mm -hmm.